So, Jean, thank you very much for your welcome. I must say it's very nice to be told that you're cracked. Because very often we feel we're cracked, but we feel that everybody else in the room is not. And we're the one cracked person, but we have to hide it. And there's something very powerful, liberating about acknowledging and understanding that we are cracked, that we've all experienced what you describe uh, as humiliation or rejection or exclusion, and often have acquired a sense of guilt that maybe this, that these handicaps we have hidden within us are um, punishment for something that we did wrong. And there's something that takes us, uh, as you do in your way of speaking, to the heart of the gospel, which liberates us from that illusion and, and that terrible false perception of reality that keeps the world in thrall and keeps the world uh, bound to its repetitive cycles of self-rejection and destruction. And so coming here to, to Lash again in Throli is a, a wonderful reminder of the, um, of the power of the gospel at the heart of human life as it really is, not as we pretend it to be or think that it should be, but as it is given to us and as we are, as we, like Francis, in the story you just told us, uh, helps us to remember and to keep on remembering that we are okay as we are. We are loved, accepted, honored and precious uh, to those who matter, to God who matters, uh, as we are. And um, it's also, I couldn't help but feel, and I'll maybe talk about this a little later, because we are the world community, this, and it's this anniversary year is, is feeling, we're feeling ourselves drawn to, uh, to, a, to a, a, a home, a center, as uh, La Femme is here and as truly is to the Lash uh, family around the world. And it strikes me as, as so important that there are physical places, they don't have to be grand, they don't have to be huge, but that there are physical places where this remembrance is, is, is retained and shared and kept fresh and reiterated uh, it is rediscovered continually in the lives and the encounters of the people who live there and the people who come to visit. And uh, so that's one of the things that in this anniversary year for us uh, we're thinking deeply about and feeling called to. And I'll speak a little bit more about it and, uh, as the days go on. But to thank you for reminding us that we are cracked and 
at least for these few days, we don't have to hide the fact we're a bit cracked, uh, either from ourselves or from each other, and that we are loved just as we are. Meditation is uh, central to this remembering and the daily practice of meditation, which means not an onerous discipline, but it means allowing this contemplative practice to become part of our life, to, to soak into our life and to become one of the habitual ways in which the gift of the Spirit is continually reawakened in us. Meditation is often called a, a, a way of enlightenment. And sometimes we approach that as if it was some great high mountain we have to climb, some great achievement we have to, to make. And uh, when you're a child and you're introduced to meditation, then, um, as Ernie and Debbie are doing in Australia, in Townsville, and 15 or so years ago, they began to introduce meditation to all the children in the Catholic schools of the Diocese of Townsville. And that uh, awakened a, a, a sense, an awareness, uh, that is now around the world, in schools and uh, educational uh, connections around the world, of just how natural, how simple, and how grateful children are in being introduced to this way of meditation. Unless you become like a little child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I remember once uh, I was doing a blessing of a, of a child, a newborn baby in my family, and um, but they didn't want a baptism, but they wanted uh, a blessing. So we had to tread very carefully. And um, actually it was quite funny because in the sort of liturgy that we invented for this very secular, modern blessing, um, the crucial moment was sprinkling uh, rose leaves, rose petals over the head of the baby, which we did in the garden on a beautiful English summer day. But because it was a beautiful English summer day, um, at that very moment, it started to rain. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at the few remaining Christian members of my family, and uh, we exchanged uh, a look of um, amusement and of recognition that maybe this was a baptism as well. <laughs> But I remember at that uh, event we had a uh, we had readings from different different traditions, and the Christian reading was this phrase of Jesus: "Unless you become like a little child, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven." Which I thought was very appropriate, and uh, everybody would find acceptable. But uh, somebody came up to me at the reception afterwards and said. Well, I, I thought that was very good, apart from the Christian reading. So I said, well, what was wrong with the Christian reading? So he said, well, it's typical of the exclusiveness of Christianity. You know, we're going to exclude you from the kingdom of heaven 
unless you're like a little child. So I said, well, maybe you're projecting a little bit of a stereotype onto this. And uh, we talked about the meaning of it. I don't know whether it got through, but... But it is a crucial statement of Jesus to help us to understand the Gospel and to help us to understand meditation as the prayer that Jesus taught, as the way of entering into that um, inner room which is at the, the core of his teaching on prayer. When you pray, do not go babbling on like the pagans who think the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. And in that sense, many of our churches might be regarded as rather pagan because they babble on from beginning to end sometimes. And when you pray, do not worry. Let go of your anxieties. Of course, you have problems in your life, but don't fixate upon them at the time of prayer because your Heavenly Father knows your needs before you ask. And because even the problems of your life, even the handicaps you carry, the crosses you carry throughout your life, are contained within the great beauty of creation. Look at the birds of the sky and the lilies of the field. Look at the beauty and the goodness of your own nature, if you can see through your self-rejection and feeling of guilt, and see your own beauty, the beauty of your own nature, and the beauty of the creation which God has, has spoken into existence. And then the problems will still be there, but they will no longer preoccupy you or dominate you. And this is very, these are, these are you know, essential elements, essential teachings of Jesus on prayer that we have to listen to, we have to learn how to practice, we have to return to continuously. And it shows us that Jesus is many things, but he is certainly also a teacher of contemplation. When we meditate, you know, if you start to meditate and you need uh, half a million euro for your building fund, uh, after meditation, you're still going to need half a million. Meditation isn't going to top up your bank balance. It may not uh, cure you of, uh, of your medical condition. It may not solve the relationship which is causing you grief. It may not restore someone who has died to you. So meditation is not solving your problems. We live in a, a culture in which problems are, are there to be solved and we pretend to solve them uh, and we feel we compete uh, with each other in big institutions about trying to create problem-free worlds. But in fact, you know, with meditation, we don't uh, solve our problems in that sense, but we do allow the light to come in. We can't meditate without accepting, without actually discovering honestly, truthfully, humbly, that we are a bit cracked. 
and maybe more cracked even than we would like to discover. But that through this crack enters the light that is Christ, the light of the world, just light. Light is unconditional, light is non-judgmental, light is light. We see in the light, in your light we see light. It's light that reveals color and texture and the beauty of things. And the darkness has its own, the night has its own beauty, its own charm, its own mystery. But it's in the day, it's in the light, that we fully see the, the, the glory of creation, including ourselves. This, this phrase uh, that there is a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. I first, and many of you perhaps first heard it through Leonard Cohen, a fellow Montrealer. But uh, uh, later I discovered it's a very, uh, he, I don't know where he got it from, but uh, maybe he discovered it and, and through him, I'm sure he discovered it through his own uh, experience, his own uh, suffering, his own uh, journey. He went, as you may know, and spent five years as a, as a Zen monk, a Buddhist monk, when he was asked why uh, he did that, gave up, suspended his career and went into the monastery, went to live in the monastery, I don't think he became a monk, but lived there. And he said, because I failed. I'd failed at everything. I'd failed at relationships, I'd failed my family, I'd failed at my work, he said, you know, I failed at drinking too much. And I just uh, failed. So I went to a monastery. And then they said, and why did you leave? He said, I failed at that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leonard Cohen certainly, I'm sure, understood uh, and reflects the deep meaning of that um, insight. But, you know, you could also find it in the poetry of Rumi and uh, maybe many other any many other sources and it is an insight that takes us as I said to the heart of the gospel and meditation will bring us to this as Jean just told us as an experience not as a thought not as a concept not as a bit of theology or even a bit of psychology all of which are useful ways of conceptualizing it and understanding it and communicating it. But really, it won't become a redemptive or liberating insight. It won't become wisdom, in other words, until we have experienced it. And if you want to experience it, just sit and meditate. As I said, um, Jesus tells us that we must become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven, and that also throws light upon the simplicity of meditation. The reason that children take to meditation 
so naturally and so happily and enjoy it and ask for it and, and appreciate it is because they are simple. Simple things are easy to the simple. Simple things are very difficult and challenging to the complex. And by the time we become, uh, you know, uh, we've entered into life and adult experience and we've, we've, we've built up layers and layers of, of, um, of experience, of mistakes, of, of lo losses and, and, and uh, complexities. By the time we become complex beings, meditation somehow or other comes to seem very difficult. And it's this big mountain of enlightenment that we have to climb and uh, even become competitive about. It's rather funny, but you, you, you quite often meet very good meditators. I mean, very committed meditators, very people who take their spiritual life and practice very seriously. Uh, and yet uh, are deeply competitive about it and comparing themselves with others and wanting to do better than others at it and wanting to achieve something. I don't think I, I would have found it, my life wouldn't be very interesting, wouldn't have been as interesting as it has been if if um, meditation wasn't really simple because I've been saying basically the same things for a long time. But discovering, because it is simple, you discover over and over again the meaning of simplicity. God is infinitely simple, St. Augustine said. Infinitely simple. So simple we think in terms of problem solving or setting up schemes or programs or explanations or policies that will solve our problems as we do in the modern world and modern institutions and modern government. Uh, we think that simplicity is where you start from. But actually simplicity is where we are because it is, it is the goal as well. So uh, it's always, uh, um, in this little session, I, I just wanted to do a short introduction to meditation. And in a way, maybe that's not necessary because you are well aware of what I'm talking about and your own experience, your own spiritual journey, your own practice of meditation um, has given you the insights and the conviction and the faith that you need to, to continue. But uh, there is something so wondrously simple and beautiful about this contemplative journey that somehow if you, if you have got it, if you have been grasped and touched by it, by grace, then um, you're always learning something new about it. I certainly feel that. 
So when I was uh, first introduced to meditation, I was in my first year at university, and I went to see uh, Father John, John Main, uh, not to learn about meditation, but to, to um, talk about myself and my problems and my questions. But at the end of one of our conversations, he very lightly, had a very light touch, and quite unexpectedly, and in a very few words, spoke about meditation and told me how to do it. And he didn't say, you've got to do it. He just, as far as I remember, he, he just sprinkled this, this ancient wisdom of prayer uh, on my mind and waited to see perhaps if I would uh, listen. And it had a very powerful effect upon me, and it still has, really. Uh, at one level, though, I was completely mystified and confused by it. Meditation didn't seem to me to be very uh, easy to understand because it was, it was about not trying to understand things. Not trying to think ab about solutions and explanations and answers and letting go of words and thoughts even, and entering into what we call silence. Not just an external silence, but an interior silence, which is an absence of thought, conceptual thought, imaginative thought. So when he described that, probably in a very few words, just like, let go of your thoughts, as the Desert Fathers described it, he uh, intellectually, mentally, totally confused me. But, at another level, which I don't think I had awakened to very much before, uh, and certainly anyway, this did uh, produce an awakening a deeper awakening for me at the level of the heart, of the spirit, uh, I knew that what I was hearing was a wonderful insight, a wonderful truth, something I totally trusted and knew was right, although I couldn't say why. And not only did it seem to me at that level, at the wisdom level, to make sense, it also brought with it uh, an awakening of a hunger, a desire for God, theologically speaking. But it wasn't desire in the ordinary sense of the word, but it was a, a hunger or a discovery that this hunger for God is in us and it is our greatest gift. We don't think of hunger as, as a gift. Hunger means a desire which we want to satisfy, and it's a gift when you satisfy it. But this hunger for God, this spiritual uh, receptivity, openness, and awareness, is, um, is actually our food. It's where the hunger becomes the food. 
So, of course, immediately we begin to see that anything you say about this particular aspect of prayer is going to take us into paradox. But that's the language of the great mystics. It's the language of the gospel. Because we can't reduce this experience to what we can explain or verbalize or conceptualize. It's something beyond that. We call that mystery. God who is mystery. So, um, so it's always, for me, a, a, a bit of a quandary or a bit of a problem when I think of how should I introduce meditation to a group. You think it would be um, automatic. But it never is, really, because, of course, the group is always different, and you're different, and every, with every meditation you have another perspective. And I was talking recently to someone who has been meditating for a while, and he said to me, I'm, I'm really struggling because I know I'm not supposed to want to achieve anything, but I can't help wanting to achieve something, even if it's achieving a state of not wanting to achieve anything. And he said, that is very frustrating to me. And the frustrating uh, aspect of that is, you know, was reducing his, his motivation and his enthusiasm, his commitment. And I think that's something we have to be prepared for. The desert monks called it achadia. Uh, they had profound psychological insight into the spiritual journey, going into the inner room. Once we are in a complex state, as we all are, is uh, going to be a journey with many twists and turns. The path is simple, but we're not. So, so what I'd like to just uh, remind you of uh, this, this evening, really, is the wonderful good news that we don't have to achieve anything. And that we don't even have to achieve the state of not achieving anything, or wanting to achieve anything. So accept the fact that you are a bit frustrated. Just accept the fact that you are a bit cracked. And that old patterns of mind keep returning. And that you can achieve some state of enlightenment or liberation or holiness or harmony uh, for a while and then you lose it. You lose it again. And somehow the old pattern comes back in your mind, in your feelings, or in your behavior. So all we have to do is to accept that and we have, in effect, transcended the frustration. We transcend the block, the self-induced uh, uh, obstruction.
That's all we have to do, to have that radical humility of accepting. It's the humility of, of the little boy Francis that Jean was talking about, who knows better than his mother, actually at that point, that, that Jesus loved him as he was. So that's humility. Not thinking you have to achieve something in order to earn God's love, but quite the reverse. You simply have to allow yourself to be bathed in it, to receive the gift. And the way to do that, and it's a continuous journey, but the way to do that at the deeper and deeper levels in which we enter into the inner room is simply to accept yourself as you are at this moment. Totally as you are. That's humility and that's the breakthrough of becoming like a little child. So it's not about achievement. In fact, even when you do get frustrated by the sense of I should be achieving something in my meditation, I should be doing better, I'm still very distracted, my mind wanders, I'm not meditating as often as I should. So even as all of that kind of self-judgmental and self-rejecting scenario repeats itself, just accept that. And then, by ex- when you, once you've accepted it, you can let it go. But if you don't accept it, you can't let it go, and it won't let you go. You will just keep on being stuck. But as soon as we've accepted it, we can let it go. And that's really, I think, what we mean by spiritual, spiritual growth. You know, many, many different spiritual traditions describe this in different ways. One of the unique characteristics of the Christian mystical tradition, however, is the recognition that as we come closer to God, as we, if you like, make progress on the spiritual journey, we actually become more aware that we are cracked. We become more aware of our sinfulness. Not less. We become more aware of it. And I think that's a, that's a, it's a wonderful, it's like the Eucharist, it's a wonderful gift to be reminded that it's okay that to be aware of that uh, cracked quality of our humanity and that that is actually integral to our coming into fullness of being, into holiness, into the full participation in the life of, of God. So, Having uh, said that, maybe we can just look again at the, the way of meditation and then
think we might, uh, after that, we'll just take maybe take 10 minutes to um, stretch or have a walk or whatever, and then we'll come back here in silence and meditate uh, before supper. And um, first, so after, after the meditation, we'll, um, we'll, we'll go into the silence of this retreat, which is the pre-seminar retreat. Uh, preparing us to be able to listen and, uh, to, to Jean when uh, he begins uh, his teaching on Friday morning. So we'll move into uh, a friendly, relaxed and confident silence. And it's, it's a rare gift, I think, in the modern world for us to actually have the, to take the opportunity to practice silence uh, in a friendly way, a silence that isn't negative, that isn't a silence that doesn't mean something has broken down, either communication or your, your stereo, but, uh, but a silence that is a, a sign of communion, a sign of friendship, a sign of you know, being in, on the same wavelength, in the same, on the same page. So we'll move into silence after, after the meditation this evening. Um, at the meals and, uh, and and try to try to be as 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 uh, grateful as you can be for this opportunity for this gift of silence, physical silence, which means not talking unless it's really necessary, and also not not talking uh, if you do need to speak to do it in a way and at a time that doesn't disturb others. The, the, the loudest noise you can make during a silent retreat is to whisper. So everyone wants to hear what you're saying. So, uh, so the silence is not just a personal or isolating thing at all. The silence is actually the breath, uh, the, the air we breathe together. It's something we are making together and entering together and something we all have a co-responsibility for. And it's a, it's a very fragile thing that we're making, this silence. It's very easily broken, and of course it can be cracked, and then be repaired, but um, the very fragility of the silence that we share is its, is its power and its, uh, its beauty. So I encourage you to to really taste and allow yourself to be touched by this um, opportunity to be silent. So let me just uh, let me just briefly uh, remind you of this way of meditation that is at the heart of the the life and the the work of our com community, and that. Uh, from the earliest days of the of the church, and in particular from the from the great teachers of the desert uh, tradition, and right down the through the contemplative path uh, of the church for the, for the last two millennia, has been uh, a simple teaching, a simple wisdom uh, passed on as to how we can live and practice the teaching of Jesus on prayer. I'm not saying it's the only 
way to pray, obviously, and we'll be praying in different ways uh, together during this retreat. We'll begin the meditation periods during the retreat uh, with the simplified form of the Divine Office, uh, the scriptures. Uh, we'll be celebrating the Eucharist together. Uh, so we pray in many different ways at different times. But um, in meditation, I think, we are able to, to touch into the, the, the essence of prayer itself, which, as John Main reminds us in his teaching, in the Christian understanding, is not my prayer at all. Not my prayer, but it's his prayer. It's the prayer of the Spirit. We do not know how to pray. St. Paul says, but the Spirit prays in us deeper than words. That's the basic theology of Christian meditation, that we, we as it were, take the attention of ourselves. We're not trying to achieve a prayerful state even, but we are allowing ourselves with a little discipline, because we need discipline, who doesn't need discipline, we're allowing ourselves with a little discipline to be led into this communion with the prayer of Jesus. And then, as we open ourselves to his prayer, to his experience of the light, God who is light, his experience of the Father, we go with him in his humanity as his brothers and sisters. We go with him, in him, and through him to the Father in the Spirit. That's the basic theology of Christian meditation. And that is what we live out in the consequences of our, of our spiritual life each day, in our work, in our relationships. So meditation is, a, is the prayer of the heart. It's distinct from the prayer, from mental prayer. With mental prayer, we are using words, thoughts, imagination. And we'll do that in the other forms of prayer and in our Lectio time tomorrow. But at the time of meditation, we practice the prayer of the heart. And to enter into that prayer, we do what the Desert Fathers called leaving uh, setting aside our thoughts, leaving our thoughts aside. And that's the journey. The journey is this, this gentle but continuous and, and, and ever, deep, ever more deeper re renunciation or, or, and letting go into a poverty of spirit, which is what silence means. So we lay aside our thoughts in the times of meditation. How do we do that? Well, not by thinking, obviously. We, we, we lay it aside in this very simple uh, way suggested by those early teachers down the centuries to take a single word, a prayer word, mantra, a sacred word, what John Cassian in the 4th century called a formula in Latin. So we take a word or a phrase 
We repeat this continuously in our mind and heart during the time of the meditation. And by returning to the word continuously, gently, faithfully, lovingly, and generously, that is how we lay aside our thoughts. And that's how we begin to follow this path of silence, of poverty, that leads us step by step into the inner room. So choosing the word is important because we want to stay with the same word all the way through the meditation and from day to day. That's how we then, as in the Hesychast tradition, in the tradition of the Jesus Prayer in the Orthodox Church, the word becomes um, rooted in our hearts, becomes really incarnate, and the word becomes flesh in a subtle way. So choosing the word, you could take the name Jesus, or the word Abba, the word that we recommend is the word Maranatha. We recommend it because it's the oldest Christian prayer, because it's a sacred word in the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic. It means, come Lord, or the Lord comes. But we don't think about the meaning of it as we say it, and that's why it's helpful to choose a word that is not in your own language. If you choose this word, Maranatha, say it as four syllables, Ma-ra-na-tha, Ma-ra-na-tha. Don't visualize the word, but sound it, articulate it clearly in your mind, and listen to it as you say it. Now, it's simple, not easy. It's not easy because our minds, of course, are very busy, preoccupied, distracted, noisy. So we will be interrupted by our thoughts. We'll be sort of pulled, tugged away from this uh, simple practice almost immediately by thinking about, I wonder whether we're going to have a nice dinner this evening. Or I wonder whether my pillow is comfortable enough. Or I wonder whether the weather will stay nice. Or some problem you've left behind you at home. Or one thing or another, we will start to get distracted. Thoughts will begin to come into the mind. Now, at this moment, this is where you practice what I was saying earlier. There's nothing to achieve. So don't be trapped or tricked into feeling, oh, I'm no good at this. I'm a really lousy meditator. I bet the person sitting next to me is meditating much better than me. Anyway, they're sitting very still and they look a really good meditator. Oh, I better close my eyes now. Uh, so don't get into any kind of competition or self-competition or self-judgment. Remember little Francis, <laughs> you know, I, I'm okay as I am and let go of the thought immediately and then come back to your word. And it's like walking. It's one step, one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. 
and you don't have to run, you don't have to uh, get there before anybody else, but keep walking, because you, you do need to make a little effort. So saying the word, saying the mantra, is this gentle, but at the same time, faithful journey that we make. So we sit down, we sit still. The stillness of body will help to bring you to a stillness of mind. Close your eyes lightly. You find it more easy, keep them very slightly open, but don't, don't sort of look at anything. So just close your eyes very lightly. Relax your shoulders, relax the muscles of your face. Your whole being is involved in this work. Your body, your mind, your emotions, your spirit. And then breathe normally, relax the muscles of your face, and then gently start to repeat your word. Ma, Ra, Na, Tha is the word I recommend. And listen to it and keep returning to it gently and faithfully. So just before we take a little short break, would, would any, does anybody have any, any questions or anything they'd like to ask or raise about that? Okay, so let's take, uh, uh, let's see, this, this, this will be our, our bell calling us into the silence when we meditate. Uh, so why don't we take, uh, say, ten minutes um, to, uh, ten minutes, yes, ten minutes to stretch or relax and then we'll ring the bell but come come back here in about 10 minutes okay